presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I'm chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. On November 7th, 2023, Colorado voters will approve or reject Proposition HH, Property Tax Changes and Revenue Change Measures. Property HH was referred to the ballot by state legislature following the passage of SB 23-303 in the final days, I might note, of the 2023 legislative session. Proposition HH is a complex proposal, has various parts to it that one has to understand. It modifies or reduces taxation rates and exemplifies an exemptions for multiple types of property, while at the same time increases taxes by allowing the state to retain more tax revenue. It would distribute excess revenue to school districts and other government entities without new stipulations or clarity as to how those funds would be used. Proposition HH gives Coloradans a choice to trade some property tax relief for a long-term increase in state taxes. Though any revenue forecast is uncertain, under normal economic conditions, taxpayers would bear the full tax increases under Proposition HH, even if the economy faced a sizable downturn. While all, and I underline all, Coloradoans benefit from Tabor refunds, only, and I underline only, property owners would see direct benefits of the property tax decrease and there are 30% of the citizens of Colorado are not property owners, they rent. CSI recently released several resources for voters to understand the impacts of HH. You can visit www.mypropertiestaxcode.com and find the calculator CSI developed to allow every Colorado household to see the potential direct impact of current law and Proposition HH on their property taxes. You can also find the link to CSI's full research paper as well. Today, I'm joined by two guests who have a lot to say about this issue. Governor Owens, welcome to the podcast, but I also must say that this is a little bit of inside baseball, and you know a little bit about inside baseball, both baseball and the major leagues, as well as being the governor, the 40th governor of Colorado from 99 to 2007. Welcome, Governor. Good to be here. Thank you. And Chris Brown, CSI Vice President of Policy Research. Welcome back, Chris. We've had several conversations in the pack. I'm looking looking forward to this one. Likewise. Thank you, Earl. Well, let's start off, Governor. I want to start by first discussing how in the world did we get here? Proposition HH at least partially addresses property taxes. And why, in your opinion, is HH going to the voters now? What's happening? Well, Earl, thanks for doing this podcast. Thanks for the work that the Common Sense Institute does on so many important issues, particularly right now on Proposition HH. And the way we got here is pretty simple. Two factors came together to give those who want more government spending this huge opportunity to increase government spending. The first factor was the reassessment that we see in Colorado property tax evaluations. It happens every number of years. And as you know, some properties in Colorado have been going up in value, and therefore you reassess to reflect that value. 
The second impact has been the repeal of what was called the Gallagher Amendment, a long-standing part of the Colorado Constitution that was repealed by the voters a year ago with some unforeseen impacts. So the combination of these two factors, reassessment plus the repeal of the Gallagher Amendment, has given government a one-time huge windfall that, that it plans to keep forever through HH. The way I describe HH is, is out of the $4 billion in, in approximate new property tax revenues that governments are going to get because of the two factors. Proposition HH gives back about $400 million of that, but gives back is actually inaccurate, because believe it or not, government takes that $400 million out of your pocket from Tabor refunds that we are already owed. So there's a $4 billion tax increase coming. They, quote, reduce it, end quote, by $400 million take that $400 million back out of our pockets. And then to add insult to injury, they change that Tabor refund formula such that we won't have a Tabor refund in a very few years. In fact, official state data says we're going to lose a billion dollars in Tabor refunds in just the first three years that HH is in, in, in effect. So it's a it's really a shift in shaft. They're playing a slate of hand, and they did it in the last few days of the session. It's nefarious, it's wrong, and it should be defeated. I had an opportunity preparing for this podcast, Governor, and I went in and read the legislation. And Governor, you know how things work uh, down at the Capitol, and I must admit, for a 40-some-plus page piece of legislation, as detailed as it was, to come up in the last two days of the legislative session, I don't see how that piece of legislation got written. How in the world did that that get written in, in such a short period of time, as complicated as it is? Or was there some help in having that uh, yes. legislation written that the uh, two uh, sponsoring senators had? Help us out. How does I, how do I as a common citizen understand how this works? Well, I, I never impugn motives, but I do look at facts. And I, I spent 12 years in the legislature myself, another four years as state treasurer, and eight years as governor. So I know the Capitol and its processes pretty well. And what I believe happened was my friends in the other party, the Democratic Party, kept this for 112 days, worked on it behind the scenes. And as you know, it's a 120-day session. And then about a week before the end of the session, they introduced it kind of in the dead of night, passed it through committees where, in fact, people didn't even have the bill in front of them to testify, had committee meetings literally at 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. in the morning, and passed this massive proposal with almost no input from the public. And again, I don't impugn motives. But had they been willing to have this done in the full light of day, it should have been introduced in the first 30 or 40 days of the session. And then the people of Colorado should have had a right to learn about it and then tell their legislators what they thought about it. It wasn't done that way. It was done in the dead of night. Behind closed doors is where it was written. And that's just not right. And it's another reason it needs to be defeated. Chris, uh 
as I hear the governor, this is one of the biggest tax increases we've had for some time. And I understand the property taxes. And I understand 30 to 40 percent increase in household values and where the, the mill levies on all of that, how that works and why there would be larger property taxes because of the appreciation. But what else uh, in, in your research would you like to add to what the governor said? Well, I, th- I think he, he nailed the issue, the two issues that have led to the, the prospect of, of rocketing property taxes next year, given increased value uh, valuations and the repeal of the Gallagher Amendment. I guess just the third element that is, is also culminating at the exact same time is state revenue subject to Tabor is now hitting up against the, the cap. We haven't, you know, since the passage of referendum C more than 15 years ago, we have not seen many years, uh, very few years of state spending being restricted by, by the Tabor spending limit. Explain that just very quickly for our podcast listeners. So, yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you, Earl. So Tabor is the voter-approved taxpayer uh, bill of rights, which has several stipulations, including requiring voters to approve tax increases, and it has a an annual growth limit on state spending, or at least a portion of state spending. It currently limits growth in spending to the rate of population plus inflation. You know, we don't need to get into all the details, but the spending limit that the state has had for the last, again, uh, 15, nearly 20 years, following the passage of, again, referendum C in the mid-2000s, the spending limit has been above revenue subject to Tabor and has not required many refunds. But strong revenue growth has has projections that are now indicating that revenue will surpass the Tabor spending limit. We, we saw Coloradans saw refund checks last year. They anticipate refund checks, significant refunds over the next several years and likely to continue. And so not only are we facing historic growth in property tax, prospect of property tax increases, but they're also the state revenue is above the spending limit looking at very large refunds. So HH, at the same time it is trying to address property tax relief, is also addressing what some perceive as an issue, and it's increasing state taxes by retaining more state revenue. So hold on, hold on, yeah. Chris, hold on, hold on. So you're you're increasing state taxes. Hey, I'm just a simple guy here trying to run a business. So what I hear you saying is that somehow HH is going to impact my Tabor refund, which is what I heard the governor say. And I and likely if HH is passed, likely under the what HH reference saying, not to get my Tabor refunds, which are all of a sudden now, not all of a sudden, but now starting to be something that I can, uh, I like think, look forward to in the next decade. Am I hearing this correctly? Yes. And, you, you know, you, you asked the question, what's the background? And here I am jumping into HH. So I apologize, Earl. But this is important context. And, I, you know, the question of how we got here. But. But you're right. You know, we can get into more of the details. Proposition HH would change this the Tabor spending limit that I mentioned, population plus inflation. It would now add an additional 1% growth allowance annually 
in what the state could retain in future revenue. So Stop. I'm just a simple business guy. So if inflation is 3% and population growth is one and a half, that's four and a half percent growth in the general fund per year that we can have. Now they're adding another 1% that would be five and a half percent growth before Tabor would refund funds uh, if our revenues exceeded the growth that's subject subject to Tabor. Is that correct? So all of a sudden we're having a 20% increase in what has to be uh, be achieved here uh, by state revenue growth? Yeah, I think your inflation estimates are slightly higher above some of the projections, but we've estimated, we say in the report that this extends, expands the spending limit by 25%. So your math is pretty close. It's a 25% increase in the state spending limit. What I would suggest the voters need to understand is is that it has been against Tabor from the day it passed. They tried it in 1919 directly through Proposition CC. It was defeated. Now they're trying to use this property tax huge increase as an opportunity to, in fact, increase taxes further by grabbing our, our Tabor refund. Everybody's right. It changes the formula. And in essence, it does away with that refund. I think I'm comfortable saying in about three to four years max, what I know is it increases taxes by taking that Tabor refund a billion dollars in the first three years. And I am very comfortable in saying this does away with the Tabor refund while cutting our property tax increase by a really small amount temporarily. There is no reason for this to be on the ballot except trying to go after the Tabor refund. This could have been done legislatively, but they didn't. They put this on the ballot so that they could do away with Tabor, and that's what I would suggest the voters need to know. Let's assume it passes. It's only for 10 years, Governor. So if it's 10 years, everything goes back to normal. What am I missing? Thanks for the the softball, because that's what they're saying, and you understand what it actually does. And what it actually does is for 10 years, and then it allows the legislature or a school board or a county commission to extend it just through their own vote. They don't have to come back to the voters. They simply get together, perhaps at two in the morning, like the legislature did. And when nobody's watching, you know, in a whisper, say, hey, let's let's continue to keep this windfall. So that's what it does. What if they were being more honest, they would have required the voters to have to say again that we want government to keep all this money. But no, they're just going to have government again. Uh, behind closed doors and whispering to each other, say, let's keep the taxpayers' money while they're not watching. Okay, we understand that this is basically uh, taking away Tabor. All right. What I hear you saying, Governor, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of what would normally be a part of what we have to, as citizens, have to participate in in the local decision-making is taking out, being taken out of our hands. Yeah, because they're going to get all of these revenues, and they're never going to have to be coming back to us to ask our guidance and approval when they have spending needs because they're going to be absorbing this windfall forever. Well, Governor and Chris, help me out. And I'm trying to make certain that there's clarity in the decisions. HH is not passed. I still am going to have a significantly higher property tax to pay. There's going to be significantly larger money in the coffers at the state and locally. 
But what would you suggest that uh, would, in your opinion, uh, and Chris, I want your insight as well as the governor's, if I could, would be a way in which we, uh, as citizens of the state, would hope the legislature and the governor might uh, react to a defeat in HH that would answer some of the questions that you're bringing up about Tabor. And uh, if it's defeated, obviously we have Tabor that would be available. But also there's a just a, a lot of money in the various state and local treasuries that wasn't there before. So what would you hope the legislature and the, the governor might do if, it's, if it doesn't pass? I'll go at this first, and I think it's it's pretty simple. If HH is defeated, and I think he should call a special session now, but he, Governor Polis is obviously going to wait to see what happens with HH. But I would think, he, I would suggest he call a special session immediately after the election, November 15th, November 20th, put together a five or six day session, have a debate and just cut the property tax. They could have done that at any time during the last legislative session. Instead of the 35 to 40 percent, they could have said, look, we're going to let government keep 10 and we're going to give the rest back to the taxpayers who earned those dollars. That is a simple bill that could pass, you know, as fast as they passed HH. So that would be my model for what should happen if HH is defeated. However, there are some citizens who are pretty upset about this process as well. They're going to be placing on the ballot a 4% property tax limit on next year's ballot. And those petitions are going to be handed in within the next few days to the Secretary of State. And there's going to be a second initiative which would roll back a lot of that 35 to 40% increase. So whether it takes it back to 10% or something reasonable and then locks it in with that 4% limit, that is what is going to happen in Colorado. And uh, that's what should happen. We shouldn't let government use this congruence of reassessment plus the ending of Gallagher to give government more money than they've ever imagined and also let them do away with Tabor refunds. Yet that's exactly what HH is trying to do. Thank you, Governor. And Chris, how do you see uh, if HH doesn't pass? Uh, give us your insight as a research uh, research analyst and having dug into this for the past few weeks. You know, I think what we've shown is and estimated is that the average Colorado household under current law will see about a 36% increase in their property tax next year. Some homeowners, their property tax will go up more than 50-60%. If HH passes, it will go up 26%. And HH does not, even if HH passes, it does not moderate property tax growth in the future. Maybe we could have started here, but I want to just remind listeners, why we're talking about this issue and why property taxes are unique. This is not income tax. This is not sales taxes, right? Just because your home value has increased does not mean that the means to pay for the increased property tax bill has gone up. So long-term, property tax policy has to provide some certainty for property owners that their bills, that their property tax bills will not fluctuate 
largely, massively, year to year. The Gallagher the Gallagher formula did that to some degree, had other unintended consequences, but it moderated growth. Yes. I think what will need to transpire will be something that legitimately moderates property tax growth so that homeowners have more certainty, prone property owners have more certainty in that their tax rate won't increase substantially, and something that provide certainty for local governments on the same side on the on the other side of the equation so that fire districts water districts cities counties have some reliable source of revenue that again is not fluctuating significantly that is not constantly facing policy reform as well so what that will be i think will a lot will change in the next 6 to 12 months is my is my guess but providing that certainty is what's needed uh, which HDH in the long run does not provide. And I think voters will have to look to alternatives. So you're in effect creating some criteria for what the governor is suggesting. And that if we have a legislative session to look at the issues, it seems to me you're creating kind of a criteria for everybody to, to uh, consider how we might want to put the new laws on the books to help everybody, uh, I guess, afford the, the increase. Uh, as well as be able to be more certain as to what the future may be and staying in their house, of which if you're a senior citizen living on fixed income, I think as the governor mentioned earlier in the comments, you know, these increases make it very difficult for you. You're taking bread off the table of, of people living on fixed income. And we have, I think, what, 25% of the current population is uh, over 65? Yeah, that's a large uh, large population base. I would like, if I could, uh, to go on to just the question of You've done some things, Chris, at Common Sense Institute to help all of us understand what the prop, the uh, the impact of us. Explain that to us, and how might we uh, use it, and so all of us can uh, really personalize the impact of HH uh, with regards to the refund of HH and also the uh, loss of Tabor refund if HH is passed. In anticipating that property tax issues would be front and center for probably months and maybe years to come. We developed this website, mypropertytaxco.com, which at the moment allows anyone and homeowners to go in, type in their address, and see the impact to their property tax bill under current law next year, under Proposition HH next year, under this 4% growth alternative, and compare that to the impact to future Tabor refunds under uniform refunds over the next decade. So I think it's important for voters to realize that when you are at the moment considering HH, it's more than just property tax relief over a single year. Understanding that the the long-term implications for Tabor are significant and providing that information to voters right up front is what we wanted to do so they could see that trade-off clearly. And the website is, again, an intuitive way, an, an interesting and, and, and direct way using, I should say, publicly available data that we got from each county assessor's office. And so it's, again, information in the public domain that we were able to use to populate the website. But it's a, I think it's an important tool for voters to realize the extent to which, you know, HH will impact them in a, in a very substantial way over the long run. So all I've got to do is put in my name, my address, uh, my, uh, 
my, my zip code address and do I own a property, don't own the property? And you'll tell me on this, 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 uh, calculator what my, uh, refund from HH would be as well as, uh, what my refund from, uh, Tabor would be and how I can see the dollar impact for me personally. Is that all I have to do? Just type in your address, indicate whether you own or rent, whether you file your taxes individual or as uh, jointly and hit calculate. Great piece of information I readily have. So thank you. I appreciate it. That sounds pretty easy to me. It's kind of closing comments. I'd, I'd like each of you, if you would, please, to give me your thoughts. There's a lot to weigh here. If you were to give some closing thoughts to, to the podcast advi- uh, podcast folk listeners, uh, what would you suggest we do as citizens uh, in helping people understand what's going on and uh, what you would hope that they would share with uh, with each other? Governor? I think it's pretty simple. This is government's attempt to increase its revenues by using a crisis to its own advantage. Property tax increases, that is a crisis level when the average property tax increase for a residence in Colorado is up 36%, and yet there's no necessarily resultant increase in anybody's salary to pay those taxes. Government is using a crisis to try to feather its own nest, and I think it's wrong. And they can call it a cut, but what they're really doing is institutionalizing this massive increase while also doing away with the Tabor refund, in my opinion, forever. And it's wrong. They shouldn't have done it in the last five or six days of the session. They should have done it in open debate. And taxpayers need to take back control of this issue and will do so next year via initiative if government doesn't come into session after the defeat of HH and fix it itself. Following up with the governor's comments, I Colorado, I know, uh, is uh, has income tax that you know everybody looks at and says, "My goodness, that's you know reasonable income tax." But we all know from Common Sense Institute studies that a large part, in fact, over half of all the government spending comes from fees. So it seems to me that when you take fees and income tax into account, we're already paying probably something that would put us in the top 20 or 25 states in the country on full taxation. And now if you put this on top of that, I don't know, I don't feel really comfortable with what's going on. Help me out, Chris. This is really true to our mission and, and the work that we do is use as an opportunity to educate yourself. Property tax issues will not go away under this. So more will be debated by the legislature, whether it comes to voters. So this is an opportunity to be to be educated. But the bigger point and the point you're making is that under this, under HH, overall, the property tax burden on taxpayers increases in the long run. And so this does not, in aggregate, reduce the cost of doing business, the cost of living throughout the state of Colorado. And I think that is, that's a very important piece of this to consider along with, you know, understanding where that revenue would go and whether you weigh that as a priority or not. But I agree that over the long run, this is far more than limited property tax relief. Well, what I heard the governor saying, you're saying, is that the the state legislature has an opportunity, FHH is not passed, to not add to the average citizen's cost of living in Colorado. 
we all know that we have a state that affordable housing already is is an issue, uh, and all this does is make it more of an issue for those people that don't have affordable housing. And we know that the property taxes are going to be very onerous for people that are older and living on fixed income, property tax increases. I want to thank both of you for your comments. And uh, Governor, uh, thank you for the inside politics. We appreciate it. And you're and giving us a, a strong sense of how things really work. And Chris, thank you for all your research. We appreciate what CSI is doing. Thanks, Earl. You guys do a great job. Appreciate having the opportunity to, to talk with you about this critical issue. Thank you, Earl.
Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.